Grace, mercy, and peace be to you from God, our Father, and our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. The basis for our message today is from the Gospels and the account given to us about John, John's questioning of Jesus. And when we come across this, it's, it's kind of a puzzling lesson, isn't it? It starts with John the Baptist asking Jesus, are you the one or should we expect another one? Then we have Jesus talking about John saying he's the greatest and the least, both at the same time. And then what's all this stuff about the violent and the, against the kingdom of heaven? It's a difficult passage. But, but to understand this, we need to understand the idea of a paradox. A paradox is something that has two things that seem to contradict one another, but actually can be true. And there are many paradoxes that are used in literature. I want to highlight a couple. First, Shakespeare has Hamlet say, I must be cruel to be kind. First, that doesn't make much sense. When you think about it, there's, there's some truth to that. Or George L. Orwell's Animal Farm has a statement, All animals are equal, but some are more equal than others. Again, seems contradictory. Or, or Oscar Wilde, I can resist anything but temptation. So, so, so this idea of two things seeming to contradict each other, um, not only is it in literature, but it's also part of our faith. Our, our faith has paradoxes. And so to help us with the text today, at least I hope it helps and doesn't make it more confusing, um, I, I had him put in an insert into your bulletin as kind of an outline. Because what we have in the gospel lesson is, I think, three paradoxes. And to understand the text, we must understand these paradoxes. And so the paradoxes come from the different sections of the gospel lesson. And so we're going to look at, the, I divided up the gospel lesson in three sections. Uh, we're going to start with the last section, then take the second section, and then the first section. We're going to see that each section has its own paradox. And when we understand the paradox that is going on, we have a better understanding of what is taking place. So that's what we're going to attempt this morning. So we go back to the end of the text, the last three uh, from verses 12 to 15 to set up the first paradox we're going to discuss. From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has suffered violence, and the violent have taken it by force. And all the prophets from the law, of, uh, me, all the prophets in the law prophesied until John. And if you are willing to accept it, he is Elijah who has to come. He who has ears, let him hear. And I think if you look at this section, the paradox that we see is the kingdom of heaven exists in a sinful world. We, we don't think that that really could happen. The kingdom of heaven is pure and holy, and the world is anything but holy. And yet the kingdom of heaven exists in a sinful world. And it's tough for us to comprehend that. But, but we see this with John the Baptist, right? Wasn't this John's message? John's message was, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And he proclaimed this message to a sinful world. And, and Jesus is pointing out that the world resists it. As he says that the kingdom of heaven has suffered violence, and violent men have taken it by force. Isn't he pointing out that the sinful world not only resists, but fights against the, the kingdom of heaven? That, that it brings the, about violence. It, it, it tries to stop the kingdom of heaven. And, and John is feeling the full force of that, right? When John sends these messengers, where is he? He's in prison. Here he is, part of the kingdom of heaven, as a believer, and yet he feels the brunt of the world forcing against him. He's feel, felt the violence of men who have stood against the kingdom of heaven. And now he finds himself in jail. It's difficult for us to accept because we like to see the kingdom of heaven succeed. We don't like to see the sinful nature, the sinful world around us. And what we have to keep in mind, 
the kingdom of heaven has kind of a now, not yet nature to it. You are part of the kingdom of heaven today. You see, the kingdom of heaven is wherever Christ reigns. And Christ reigns. He reigns in your heart. He reigns as he has conquered sin. But again, just as the opposition resisted at the time of John, so will the opposition fight against that kingdom today. And we witness that. And we get frustrated by that. When we see the sinful world and its acts against the church, are we not frustrated? And there is a danger that as we see the sinful world at work, there's a chance that, that we might give up the faith, that, that we might lose heart. That we might think that the kingdom of heaven is lost. And there are moments where we kind of wonder which side is winning, the Lord or the world around us. But Jesus is warning us that we need to understand that this paradox exists, that the kingdom of heaven exists in a sinful world, and we're going to see that in our life. That's why he tells us, he who has ears, let them hear. We are to understand that this is what takes place. But now we go to the second section. This is verses 7 through 11. As they went away, Jesus began to speak to the crowds concerning John. What did you go out in the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind? What did you go out to see? A man dressed in soft clothing? Behold, those who wear soft clothing are in kings' houses. What then did you go out to see? A prophet. Yes, I tell you, and more than a prophet. This is he of whom it is written, Behold, I send my messenger before you, your face, who will prepare your way before you. Truly I say to you, among those born of women, there has arisen no greater than John the Baptist. Yet the one who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. Paradox here is, we are a sinner and a saint at the same time. And Jesus points out another paradox about John, that he is the greatest, he is the greatest born among women, and yet he's least in the kingdom of heaven. How, how can that be? Well, his greatness is in his role as a prophet. And the people recognize this. They recognize he's a prophet. Jesus raises the question, what did you go out and see? You didn't go out to see a reed shaking in the wind. You didn't see, go out to see some soft man out in the wilderness. You didn't go out to see the camel's hair and the locusts and all those things. You went out to hear the word of God. You went out to see a prophet. And Jesus says he was more than a prophet. He's the greatest of all prophets because he's the last prophet of the Old Testament, the last to proclaim the coming of the Savior, the last to proclaim Christ's arrival. He even had the privilege of baptizing Christ. We've had the role of seeing Christ. And in that sense, he's greater than anyone born of woman. He had the privilege of proclaiming that the, the kingdom of his God is at hand and to see the Christ and point to him as the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. So he understood that he was greatest, but he also understood he was least because he himself spoke about the fact that he must decrease so that Christ may increase. So how is he the least of the kingdom of heaven? Well, while John received the blessing of seeing the Christ, he didn't see the finish, right? Kind of like Moses who saw the promised land but didn't get to enter it. John sees Jesus but doesn't see him rise. Doesn't see him suffer, doesn't see him die, doesn't see him rise. Doesn't see the fullness, doesn't see the ascension into heaven. And you are greater than John because of the privilege you have living today. You are a part of the kingdom of heaven. Why? Because Christ has come to you. You're part of the kingdom of heaven. Why? Because you were in your baptism. Christ joined himself to you, united himself to you. A privilege John didn't have. 
You are part of the kingdom of heaven who are invited to the Lord's table to receive the body and blood of Christ. A privilege John never had. You are greater in the sense that, that the privilege that you have as being a child of God, a saint, a true saint in God's eyes, that you have been made holy. And that's what you are. But again, there's a paradox, right? For us to be a saint, because a saint is one who is holy. But do you always see the holiness in your life? Do you always recognize the holiness? It's not always there, is it? The example is our tongue, right? Here we are, Sunday morning, singing praises to God. And how are we going to use the tongue later today and tomorrow? Isn't it amazing that man with the same tongue can praise God, but curse those created by God and made in his image? The same tongue that can proclaim the beautiful gospel message of what Christ has done in the salvation and the promise of his love uh, can also broadcast gossip. We are at one and the same time, a saint and a sinner. And that's a real struggle for us. You see, and this is the struggle that we have living out our life. You see, now we come to the very beginning. And this is what the struggle that I always have when I come across this text. Here you would think of anyone who would understand who Jesus was, it would be John the Baptist, right? A relative, one who proclaimed his coming, one who baptized him, who saw the dove come down from heaven, heard the voice from the Father. If anyone would be assured that Jesus is the Messiah, he would be the one. And yet, listen to what happens in verses 2 to 6. When John heard in prison about the deeds of Christ... He sent word by his disciples and said to him, Are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? And Jesus answered them, Go and tell John what you hear and see. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the poor have good news. Preach to them, and blessed is the one who is not offended by me. So this is the ultimate paradox. We're sinner saints, living as part of the kingdom of heaven in a sinful world. Is it any wonder we're a little bit messed up? And that's the way it is with John the Baptist, right? We might at first think, how could he ever doubt? But, but think about it. He also is a sinner saint, living in the kingdom of heaven, yet part of a sinful world. And try to make sense of that. Try to put that all together. John can't. We, we can understand what, what, why he is struggling. And so he sends word to Jesus and he sends his flowers because he needs to be reassured. His disciples need to be reassured that indeed Jesus is the one, that everything that he proclaimed and everything that he taught was true. And also think about the message that John proclaimed. Things probably aren't coming the way out the way that John had envisioned them, right? If you think back to our gospel lesson last week, what did John say about Jesus? He's coming to bring judgment, right? The axe is already laid to the foot of the tree, that, that the threshing floor is going to be cleared, and so John's waiting for this judgment. He's waiting for the, these, these scenes of judgment that, that fill his mind and his imagination. But what does he see? He sees healing. He sees grace. The only judgment he sees is the judgment against him for doing the right thing. Is it any wonder that as a sinner saint living as a kingdom of heaven in a sinful world, he needs to be reassured. He needs to be reminded. That's the way it is for us, isn't it? Do you ever have times where you struggle a little bit? Have doubts? Do you wonder why things aren't happening the way that they should? Because we all have in our mind the way that things should work out, don't we? But, but how often do we see the sinful world more succeed than the kingdom of heaven succeed? How often do we see the forces rising against gospel and wondering if they're going to overcome the church? 
We, by our very nature, want to see victory. We want to be part of victory. We want to see things overcome. And when they don't happen, especially when they don't happen personally in our lives, we begin to wonder. We begin to wonder about God's love, about God's plan, how this is all going to work out. But our Lord has an answer. He had an answer for John. Isn't it interesting when you read what Jesus says to John? He says, go tell John what you hear and what you see. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the poor have good news. He's actually quoting Isaiah here. He's saying, this is what Isaiah said would happen with the Messiah, and you see it. He's really telling John, go back to the scriptures. If you want to know if I am the one, look at what you see and compare it to what the scriptures truly say. Let the scriptures shape your mind. Let your scriptures shape your expectation. Then you'll be able to see that indeed, I am the one. I am the Savior. That, that he did come to bring judgment, but not in the way that John said. Or maybe in the way that John thought. Keep in mind, one of the ways the Lord was coming to bring judgment is to bring judgment upon himself. To take the judgment of the Father upon the sins of the, of the whole world upon his own children. And to take the punishment for that judgment, to take the price for that punishment, to die for those sins and then to rise. This is why he came, not the way that John envisioned it, but by the way the scripture had pictured it. He came to overcome sin and Satan and the sinful world, and that's what he did and accomplished it. And that's also the Lord's answer for you. At the moments when you kind of struggle about why is this happening, what is taking place, how can this all fit together... Where are you to turn? To the Word of God. To the Scriptures. To remember what really are the promises of God. The promises of God are His love for you and the salvation that He has brought. And His promise that in the fullness of time, the fullness of salvation will be yours. But in the meantime, He will be with you every step of the way. That, that Christ has already won the victory. The kingdom of heaven is, have, is at hand and we're already part of it. And we'll see the fullness of it eventually. But even now, we get the privilege of the plunder. We get the privilege of salvation. We get the privilege of faith. But we get the privilege of the Lord's presence. We get, we get his peace. We get his comfort. We get his joy. These are all the benefits that are ours because of what Christ did for us on the cross. Those are already ours. And eventually, we'll get the fullness of this. And in this way, we have to keep in mind that our Lord tells us to, to be faithful, to, to not stumble. As, as he says, blessed is the one who is not offended by me, who doesn't lose heart. So while we wait for the fullness of time, while we wait for the fullness of the kingdom to be resolved, while we wait for us to be totally, sinner and no, totally saint and no longer sinner, we remain in the word of God. There we're equipped to face this sinful. There we are equipped to battle the sin within us. There we are given peace. There we are given comfort. And we are even given joy. At the beginning I mentioned a, a few examples from literature about a paradox. There's one more I want to share with you. Poet John Donne wrote this. Death thou shalt die. That's a wonderful statement of a paradox. That, that death does indeed die. Death has been conquered. Sin has been conquered. And your Lord has done it, and he's brought you the benefits already, and the fullness are on their way. Because death has died, you have life. You have life now, and you have life eternally. Amen.
Now may the peace of God, which surpasses all human understanding, guide our hearts and minds to true faith, life everlasting. Amen.